0: You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Amen. Thanks, Kara. Let's give her a hand. Awesome. Well, welcome. So excited you guys are here. My name is Bill Vecchio. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, first off, I just want to s- stop and, uh, and just say thank you. Thank you for all of your prayers um, and all of your text messages and all of the meals. Um, so for those of you that don't know, my wife uh, had a surgery uh, last Friday or this Friday, this past Friday, um, and she's doing really well. She's here today, so we can, uh, yeah, so... God answered a lot of prayers. There's no tumor, um, which is awesome. That was a huge thing. So growing up, she had some tumors in her ears, um, and uh, we were afraid that the tumors may have come back, and so we were just praying for that, and um, and there was no tumor, and so they just cleared out the debris and, and some of the fluid, and so praise God that uh, He has protected my wife and uh, walked with with us through that. But thank you, thank you for praying for us and walking alongside us during that whole process. We felt so loved uh, for, from all of you, and so and I think we have meals for days. So uh, we're excited about that, and so um, as we as I Journey through this, I remember uh, I was sitting uh, at a Starbucks, haha, funny, surprise, uh, surprise, and I was sitting at a Starbucks outside the hospital and um, waiting for Lauren to get these updates from the hospital. They sent this like auto text, like, okay, she's in pre-op, now she's in surgery, and um, you know, my knee is shaking, and I'm like sitting there like hopped, hyped up on decaf coffee. I don't drink caffeine anymore because I'm too crazy, and, um, and I just, it made me think about how we all have different experiences in our lives. So each one of us are coming in here today with all different sorts of, of problems and situations. We're coming in with all of these life experiences and um, we have different lives and we have our own unique stories. And when we experience these problems, and you could turn to your neighbor and be like, wait, what, you have problems too? Go ahead. Because um, I think sometimes we think that we're the only ones going through them. Uh, we, we remember that, um, this world is broken, and I love uh, what Paul Tripp, a pastor and author, says. He says we live in a world of broken glass, and and as I was reading that this week, I, it reminded me of uh, we had a big Costco shipment sent to our house from shipped, and we have these amazing jars of sauce. Costco has some really good sauce, like Italian sauce, um, and one of the jars out of the bottom of the box. So some of the boxes that they have have like the big slit, and the jar fell through and hit in our garage and just shattered all over the, the, the garage floor. And there was literally glass for days. I mean, we cleaned it up as best as we could, but for days, there were like pieces that we were finding, and I went in to get a tool like, I think it was like a week or two later, and uh, I grabbed something, and I turned like this, and like a piece of glass shot into my Foot, and then like I'm like hopping back into the house, and then I'm having to like extract. It felt like uh, I was in a movie, and like there was one of those big shards of glass that someone like, you know, does something with someone. Else. But like it was it was small, but I'm like taking these tweezers, and every time I touch it, it hurts so bad, and, and it, it just reminds us that that we live in a world of broken glass. That everywhere we turn, no matter what we're doing, no matter what we're going through, like it, things could be going really really well, and all of a sudden, for some reason, something happens. A car gets stolen. Uh, We get into a car accident. Uh, A kid does something and and breaks something or someone hurts us or someone uh, does something to offend us or it it doesn't matter what the situation is but but we live in a world of broken glass because the world is broken from sin and as we're entering into this passage today, um, we have to remember that every person, no matter what their status is, no matter who they are, no matter what role they play, even if they stand up here on stage, we live in a world of broken people. Brokenness isn't affected by a political party. It's not affected by the color of our skin. It's not affected by our job status or even our morality. We are broken people. Everyone is broken and everyone needs to be saved. That's what we see in the word of God. Our culture doesn't believe that. The world around us every day is feeding us and our children with these lies that you can be who you want to be and you could eventually arrive at this place where, where you have it all together, right? There's podcasts that are telling you how to do it, five steps to a better you. So you can be the best you you can be. The problem is, is that in this life, we will always be broken. And so we're going to continue this series in Ephesians. And and as we've journeyed through this, we've walked through the first chapter and then part of the second chapter. And we're going to go into this next section, 11 through 22. And so today we're just going to focus in on verses 11 through 13. And this is a letter from a man named Paul. Now, Paul knew hardship. He knew brokenness. Paul was actually a very prestigious man. Paul was somebody that was a religious person, he was high up in um, the the teachings and the teachers of the law, and and he was someone who kept the law to the T. He was someone that everybody revered and looked up to. But what he failed to realize is that his actions, his morality, didn't save him, but actually he needed something outside of him to save him because he still was a broken person. And so he has this encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And in that interaction, God reveals to him his brokenness. And now Paul begins to go and share this good news with everybody that he knows. He starts going into these different towns and cities, meeting people, and telling them that there's hope outside of trying to be a good person. Right? Because our world says if you're a good person, you're going to go to heaven. The Bible says if you're a good person, you're still going to hell without Jesus. That's hard, but it's true. And so when Paul is going into these places, he's not received very well. Like, I'm very fortunate. None of you are coming up in here and beating me up because I just said what I just said. But Paul would go into these towns and these cities. Like, I want you to picture a city with a wall around it. He's going through like the front gate and he's saying, the Messiah has come. You need to repent of your sins because you are broken people and you need to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And they are beating him up. Boys, look at me. They're beating him up. Like, think about this. So he knows what living in a world of broken glass looks like. They're throwing him in jail because he's saying these things. He's saying, there is a Messiah that has come to bring us life and to bring us the fullness of joy. And they're beating him up and throwing him in jail. Like, there's this one point where they beat him up so bad and they drag him outside the city so that he can die. And he, like, kind of, like, comes to and his first response is not to go to a hospital, he goes back into the city to say the same thing. Like, Paul understands what it means to live in a world of broken glass. And for many of us who are coming in here today, we understand hardship. We understand pain. We understand brokenness, because we've experienced it. Now, each one of us have experienced it at different degrees, but we've all experienced some sort of brokenness. At some point, every one of us have been dumped, right? Okay, so we're just gonna go there. But we're gonna talk about this next section and the theme of it and what we're gonna see throughout the next seven weeks is that God is uniting a people to himself. A people, a group of people. Not a building, not an organization, but a group of people which he calls the church. And he's bringing this unification onto these people who were very disunified. And they didn't understand that they were saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. So Paul spends the beginning of this letter reminding us that the faith that people have in God, in Jesus, is not a result of works so that no man may boast. The result of their faith is because God has given them their faith, and so it is by grace through faith in Christ alone. There's no other way. So we talked about that a few weeks ago. If you missed it, we talked about these five solas, that that we stand on Scripture alone, the Word of God. We stand on faith alone, nothing that we do grace alone nothing that we accomplish in christ alone there's no other mediator you can't be a good person and get to heaven you have to trust in jesus as your lord and savior that's counter cultural our culture says there's many ways whatever you believe is true and the bible says no jesus himself said i am the way the truth and the life and all of this is for god's glory alone that's what we talked about a few weeks ago if you missed it you can go back we have a podcast we have it on youtube it's it's all over our website you can go back and listen to these things but he goes on and now he's, he's starting to talk about this problem that arose within these people. So Paul is going into these towns and these places. The disciples are going into towns and places. The deacons of the church in that day are going into different towns and places and sharing that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. He is the Messiah that they have been waiting for. And then this problem arises. And it arises between the people of Israel, a people group, And everybody else, which is the Bible calls the Gentiles. And so we have to understand who the Israelites are. So we have um, way back in the day, there's, there's this guy named Jacob and Esau. And Jacob and Esau are brothers and they have this spat and Jacob steals Esau's birthright and then runs away. And then God for some reason decides that through that birthright, he is gonna bring in the people of God. And so Jacob wrestles with God and God changes his name to Israel. Okay? Then, Israel has 12 sons. Those 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. And then as those 12 tribes of Israel grow, they become what we see in the Old Testament as the people of God. Eventually, people start calling them the Hebrews, and then eventually, people start calling them the Jews. Are we tracking? So these are the people of God that he has called to himself as his people to know him and love him and to to glorify his name and his name alone. And so now Jesus has come and said, I have come to bring salvation for all. And these Jews are saying, yeah, but we're the Jews. We're the chosen people. We're the Israelites. We have a lineage that dates all the way back to Moses, a lineage that dates all the way back to this guy named Jacob. And then they start forming this thing called pride. And what we see right here in verse 11 is that their boasting causes this spiritual pride, and this spiritual pride causes disunity within the church that Jesus came to establish. And so look at it with me I'm actually gonna read this in the NLT version now let me talk about versions real quick we here use the ESV version the ESV is a word for word translation. you can find these in your uh, in the aisles and we have a bunch if you don't have one we'll give one to you now, you could take one of those that, that you have there um, the reason why we use this is because this is known to be one of the most accurate for word translations that are out there it even and i know this is going to ruffle some feathers it even ranks higher than the kjv okay so it, it it's a very accurate word for word translation there are other translations and they're all good i'm not, I'm not dogging on any. there are other translations that are uh, thought for thought translations where they take like these thoughts out of the old text like the hebrew and the greek and then they write a sentence that's a thought translation or just a paraphrase version so the NLT is a thought for thought translation. So I wouldn't suggest using the NLT as your main main Bible. Um, but it's a great way to dive a little deeper into more of like a commentary of a Bible um, and then pair it with something like the ESV. And if you have the YouVersion Bible app, it's actually a great way for you to kind of flip flop back and forth between the two because you can do that with just a push of a button. With that said, I'm gonna read this out of the NLT. We have some younger, uh, Some younger ears in this room, and I want to be sensitive to uh, some of the words that are used uh, in the ESV. So here we go. Verse 11. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. So he's speaking to the people that aren't of Jewish descent. You used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. So, salvation for the Jews was marked by a physical symbol. That physical symbol was called circumcision. This symbol was supposed to be a symbol of mercy and grace for the Israelites. It was a beautiful thing that God had established with Abraham, that He makes this covenant with Abraham and then tells him to go and circumcise all of the men in their tribe to mark them as set apart for God and his glory but what they begin to do in this in this moment is they begin to take this physical symbol and they begin to elevate it higher than than a transformation of the heart and so paul's trying to help them understand that it's not this physical representation that makes them saved it's actually a change of heart that makes them saved. And he goes all the way back to even Isaiah, where Isaiah says, I'm gonna take out your heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. There's a transformation that needs to take place. So we have that in our culture today. So uh, first responders, we have any first responders in the room? Let's hear from them. Love our first responders. Um, First responders are marked with badges and uniforms. This is a symbol of honor, a symbol of bravery, And this is a symbol of responsibility that they have to the community. This is a good thing. And so Paul's trying to remind them that this symbol is not necessarily bad in and of itself, but what they started to do is to take this symbol, this external physical thing, and lift it up and say, we are better because of this. And they started to look down on those that that didn't follow suit. And so they started adding works into salvation. So when they started at, so if they said Jesus plus this physical act equals salvation, now all of a sudden it wasn't Christ alone that saved them, but some kind of work that came in and you had to do. So our, our world has done this generation after generation after generation. So they, there have been denominations that have been formed where it's Jesus plus baptism equals salvation, or Jesus plus these works equals salvation, But what we see clearly in scripture, and this is what Paul has been going on for two whole chapters, it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. There is nothing that we can add into Jesus's life, death, and resurrection on the cross for our salvation. So this spiritual pride that begins to well up inside of these Israelites, these Jews, begins to create disunity within the church. And guess what? That's a bad thing. (laughs) That's not why Christ came to die. He came to create unity. And so their knowledge of God and their history made them proud. And so we have to understand that that sin is what creates this brokenness. So pride is a sin and it's what created the brokenness. And I think there are many people here and I know that there are many people here because we've talked about that that have been really badly hurt by people and those people have been inside a specific church local church and so what begins to happen and this has happened to Lauren and I even here we've we planted this church a little over seven years ago in our house and over those seven years there have been people that have come into FMCC that have hurt Lauren and I deeply and I know that you have some of those same experiences with past churches or even, even in this church that, that someone has hurt you or done something or said something that hurt you. But what we tend to do, and this is again just a cultural thing, we tend to step away from church and we tend to say, the church hurt me. And we walk around with this badge of church hurt saying that the whole church is bad and we want nothing to do with it because they're all a bunch of hypocrites. And so we walk around, but here's the thing. Every single person in this room, if you didn't know it before coming in here today, is a hypocrite. You're welcome. And why am I saying that? Because we're all sinners. No one's exempt from that. We will all mess up. You can look at your spouse and be okay with saying, yeah, I'm gonna mess up. Don't look at them and be like, you're gonna mess up, no. I'm gonna mess up. Babe, I'm gonna mess up. I'm gonna, like, I had to take care of our kids for the last eight days, while my wife has been just kind of resting, and that's a good thing, but for me it was not the easiest thing. Like, I'm very out of shape when it comes from being with my kids 24-7. Like, I love them, they're awesome, but it's not my norm. And so I have lost my temper sometimes, and I have sinned over the course of the last eight days. So as the church, we are a church of broken people, but it's not the church, God's church that hurts us, it's people, and sinful people hurt sinful people. And so if we begin to remove ourselves and disunify ourselves from God's intention, his people, then we're gonna begin to live in isolation, and where does the devil attack? when we are in isolation. God has created us to live in community with one another. And so that's what's happening right now is that there's becoming this disunity between the Jews and the Gentiles. There's this disunity going on and it's causing these pockets of isolation, causing these pockets of people to, to break off from one another and say, we don't want anything to do with them. We don't want anything to do with those Jews. They're prideful. We don't want anything to do with those Gentiles. They're, they're just heathens. And it's creating this disunity within the church. Many have presented themselves as Christ followers, but they were not transformed by the gospel on the inside. And this is what Paul says next. Look at the end of that verse, verse 11. It says, um, it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. Christ didn't come to make us perfect people on the outside. He came to transform us from the inside out. Salvation is from the inside out. And so, uh, walking around with our chest puffed up and like with this idea, like we called it, we used to call it uh, in college the big man on campus, right? You know those guys that used to walk around like, all like, hey, look at me, right? Like, like, everybody have your eyes on me because I'm so awesome. That that mentality is what had crept into this church. the Pharisees Jesus over and over again addressed the Pharisees the Pharisees was this religious group of teachers that were supposed to be the ones upholding God's word but instead they were putting on all of these external things to make themselves look really really good this what we would call masks right they were masking all the sin on the inside but really they were dead on the inside and so there were two things that Jesus said that he called the Pharisees he said you're like a cup who has been thoroughly washed on the outside but in the inside is filthy. You ever put a cup in the dishwasher and it like flips upside down and then there's all that like yuck in it after like, are you gonna like just like pour out the yuck in it and then just like pour yourself a glass of something or you're gonna wash it out, right? It's disgusting. And he's saying you're, you're clean on the outside but you're filthy on the inside. And then he calls whitewashed tombs. Every one of us has passed a graveyard, has even had to uh, go to a graveyard Um, for some reason and we see these tombs that as they get older and older are just old and decrepit and 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 they there's stuff that grows on them and around them and 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 what they used to do is they used to go around and they used to clean these graves they used to whitewash them they used to, to what we would say is pressure wash these graves so that they were nice and clean and pristine but on the inside of the grave there was only death And so what Paul is trying to get at here with these people is that salvation transforms people from the inside out, not the outside in. Our culture is all about progress and performance. It's all about morality. Morality doesn't save you. Religion doesn't save you. Jesus saves you and his salvation comes from the inside out. And so what we see here is that he's calling these followers of Christ, these Christians, and he was saying that they should be the most humble people in the world. Christians, we should be the most humble people in the world. Why? Well, because of verse 12. It says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant promise, having no hope and without God in the world. This is how every single one of us has come into the world. What does he say? It's, they were sh- separated, they were alienated, and they were strangers, and those things led to them having no hope. To understand that Paul wasn't just ad- addressing the Gentiles here, we have to go back to verses one through three in chapter two, because he says, let's, if you have a Bible, go back, verse one in chapter two of Ephesians. He says, and you, Gentiles, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, in which... You once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And then in verse 3, among whom we, now the we there is the Jews. He's including the Jews with the Gentiles. So it's not just that if you're of Jewish descent, you're you're, uh, not strangers or aliens or separated from the hope of God. He's saying everyone is separated and alienated because of the sin that dwells within us. And so we have to take Scripture in all of the context. And so he just addresses, he says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but also we also once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the bodies and the minds, and were nature children of wrath. So now when we go back down to verse 12, we see that he's not just addressing the Gentiles, but he's talking about being separated and alien and strangers with no hope. These are heavy words of being left out. Now, I think at one point, all of us at some point, kids, you with me? At some point, you have felt left out. Adults, at some point, you have felt left out. I know most of you are the cool people in the room, right? And so maybe less than others, but go back to like recess. Like remember when you were like on the the, the field and and you wanted to play kickball and you didn't get picked for the team or something like that where, where you just felt really left out from a friend group, a group of people, like, this is so much heavier and weightier than that feeling. Because in those moments, like, it's real. Feeling left out is, is a real feeling, right? You feel like yucky and, and you feel like you have no hope. How much greater is it for you to be separated, alienated, with no hope because you are destined to spend eternal separation from your creator, God himself. And so there is a hopelessness that comes with people that don't know Jesus that is deep. It's the deepest thing we will ever experience in our entire lives is not knowing the hope that we have in Jesus. That's where our world is today. Our world is trying to find its hope in politics, in the stock market, in the housing market, and all sorts of stuff. They're trying to pour their lives and fill the gaping hole inside of them with all the things of this world and it leaves them empty and wanting more and more and more. Look at the wealthiest people on earth. They are broken and hurting. Why? Because they have no hope. They don't know Jesus. And so, he's going and saying to them, you were once separated and alien. Every human is hopeless without Jesus. The Bible says all have sinned. Not some, not most, all. And what Paul's saying here is that everybody has at one time been separated, alien, and strangers with no hope. But, Verse 13. Who's excited about the fact that God gives us like these transformation verses where he doesn't leave us in that hopelessness. But verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What is he saying? In Jesus, there is hope for All people. Say that with me. All people. In Jesus, there's hope for all people. Now, I want to look at these words because it's really important. There's a word here that he uses for far off. This is in the original text, which is written in Greek. And Luke writes the same word, this, this term, far off, for a story that Jesus proclaims, and it was a parable. We know it as the prodigal son. There was this son. It, this, the parable starts off with this man has two sons and the younger son looks at the dad, curses him to his face and says, I wish you were dead. He says, give me my inheritance now. And so the father obliges, gives him the inheritance and the son runs off and squanders his inheritance. Finds himself eating pig feed or desiring to eat pig feed. And he thinks, man, if I could just go back to my father's house, maybe, just maybe, I can be a hired servant. I no longer deserve to be called a son, but maybe he'll let me just work the field or something. It'll be better than me being here trying to feed these pigs and longing to eat what they're eating. And so he begins to take this journey back to his father's home. But what does the passage say? This parable that Jesus himself said to the people. While he was still far away, while he was far off. The same word that Paul is using here. Now what happens in that story? While he was still a far way off, the father sat there and scowled at him from his porch. How dare this young boy come back here? No. The father was waiting and watching for his son do you know how long this would have been? Like a, dads, <laughs> like, I want you to think about this. Your son says to you to your face, I wish you were dead, runs off with half of your belongings, squanders it, and now he's a far way off. In the distance, you know it's your boy. We want to we use tough love, right? We want to show him the pain that we're feeling that he caused us for those generations and generations or those times or whatever that is. Instead, while he was still a far way off, the father did something very undignified. He picked up his robes and tucked them in and started running out to where his boy was. And before his son could even utter a word and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. His dad didn't even know. Maybe his son was coming back to take the rest of the stuff. He didn't know. While he was still a far way off, the father runs to him, wraps his arms around him, and says, my son was dead and now he's alive. Go get him my coat, go get him my ring, kill the fattened calf. We are celebrating that my son has been brought near. This is what Paul is saying. You were once far off. Don't forget this. Don't walk around like these Jews who are thinking, we've got it all together. Like I know Jesus now, like I'm good every morning wake up and remind yourself you were once far off and your father ran to you, wrapped his arms around you in your filth, in your sin, in your shame, in your brokenness, in your addiction, in your failures, wrapped his arms around you and said, my son has returned. Amen. And then he brings you near. And Paul is trying to remind the Jews and the Gentiles alike, you were all once far off. (laughs) Don't disunify because one of you thinks that you're better off than the other, but instead be a beacon of hope and light to the world around you by unifying, coming together, being united, standing together and saying, we love Jesus and it is him and him alone that brings us salvation. So there is hope for all people in Jesus. And in verse 13 when you go to the NLT it uses this word, but now you have been united with Jesus Christ. You were once far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Jesus. Church, we have been united. Is there someone here that bugs you or bothers you? guess what? God has called them your brother, your sister. Has somebody in another church or in another season of life hurt you deeply that's caused you pain and has caused you to retreat from the people of God and even God himself? God has called us to unite, to love one another, to forgive one another. That's a hard thing to do. But God is saying, all of us are broken and we all need Jesus and he's the one that transforms us from the inside out. So what's our response? Number one, admit we're broken. Man, a lot of problems would be solved if we just did that. Marriages, if we just admit, even when we think we're right, that we're broken. Relationships with our kids, admit we're broken. Relationships with siblings, past hurts, people that have wronged you just admit that we're broken so we admit we're, are, we're broken people. Second thing is that we trust that Jesus paid it all that there's nothing that Jesus left unfinished when he died on the cross he said it is finished it may not feel finished right now but he finished it on the cross and so we have to trust him and remember that he paid it all for us on our behalf. And then the last thing is that we walk around as people that share that hope with the world because we are no longer hopeless people. I want you to think about this. Put yourself in the, 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 the prodigal son's story. If you truly were once far off and he ran to you and wrapped his arms around you and brought you from death to life, do you think you would share that story with anybody? Even if it was to your shame? God has given each and every one of us a testimony. His grace story in and through our lives. And that testimony has aspects of brokenness in us, like with us, that brings us shame. I once did drugs. I once hurt somebody. I once had an affair. I once did this. And and we don't want to display those things because those things God has, has already restored. However, When God brings you from death to life, when he brings you from brokenness to the fullness that he has for you, that testimony is no longer our story. Our story is that we have been found in Christ. Our story has been completely culminated and wrapped up in the person of Jesus. His blood, this passage says, covers us. So we're free to share the the brokenness and the hurt and the pain because God has redeemed those things and it shows his power and his glory. And so, as the prodigal son, I'd imagine that going around being like, yeah, I told my dad I wish he was dead and then squandered half his wealth. It's probably not the thing he wants to go around telling people. But what power is it that we now sit here and talk about those things because of the testimony of what happened and the story that Jesus put together as a parable? How many stories have you heard over the course of your life of someone that has says, I was once broken, but now I'm restored. I was once far off, but now I have been brought near. God has given you a story and he's given you that story to share. We as your church, as your elders, want to help you cultivate that story and figure out how to to share that story so that it brings forth the grace of God, not magnifies the course of your sin. I think often when we're sharing our testimony, we so magnify what we did, we forget that the power in the story is the fact that Jesus saved us from it. And that's the good news is that we get to share this with the world. So, we admit we're broken, we trust that Jesus paid it all, and then we share the hope of Jesus with the world. Church, over the next six weeks, seven weeks, we get to dive deeper into this section of scripture and talk about what it means to be a church that is united by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Can I pray for us? Jesus, you have given us your word, and you say that that word would bring us peace. And in John 16, you said, in the world we will experience tribulation, we will experience brokenness, but that we must take heart because you have overcome the world. God, I know that there are people here today that are broken. I know there are people here today that have been really hurt. And God, we know that we live in a world of broken glass, and if we haven't just come out of a trial, God, we're gonna be walking into one. But you say, blessed are those who experience trials, because in those trials, when we put our faith and our hope and our trust in you and you alone, that we will experience hope like no other. And so God, if there's someone here today, first and foremost, that doesn't trust you as their Lord and Savior, I pray right now that you would stir something in their heart where they would fully surrender to you, admit that they are broken, and trust that you paid it all for them. The second thing, God, as I pray for those that trust you as our Lord and Savior, I pray that they would then therefore walk in obedience to your word. God, that they would be transformed from the inside out and that your spirit would bear fruit in and through their lives. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, Paul and giving him the courage to write this letter to the church, to us pray that you would be glorified you'd be magnified your name we pray amen um i I do want to say one thing in a couple of weeks june 5th and 12th uh we're going to be doing baptisms right here we're going to set up a portable baptism tank um and if you have not been baptized after you yourself have made a public declaration profession of faith we would love to talk to you Um, so as you exit there's going to be a a sign up sheet uh, and that sign up sheet is for baptisms as well as I think there's a family or uh, women's ministry sign up Um, as you go out um, please sign up for that it's not saying that you're going to get baptized but we would just love to reach out to you and call you and talk through that with you so maybe you were baptized in the Catholic church as a kid as an infant or another church as an infant we want to have that conversation with you and walk you through scripture what we see as baptism being a public declaration of an inward faith And that is a testimony to the body of Christ. And so there are a couple people that are going to be baptized already, but if you've never been baptized as someone who has professed faith in Jesus, we would love to invite you to do that and participate in that with us uh, June 5th or 12th. Um, And then the second thing is we're going to take communion right now. Communion is a beautiful um, representation of what Christ did for us on the cross. And so when Jesus was with his disciples, he took this bread and he broke it. He said this is my body broken for you and then he invites us to do this in remembrance of me he invites us to take this bread and eat it in remembrance of him and then he has this cup that was filled with uh some kind of fruit from the vine some kind of wine and he says this is my blood that's poured out for you do this in remembrance of me so if you are someone today that was once far off and has now been brought near we invite you to come participate in communion. What we're gonna do is you're gonna get up from your seats. In the back, there is a table. There's gonna be two sides to that table um, and you can take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup. Um, If you're immunocompromised or you're fearful of that, there's also these little um, packages that have both a wafer in them as well as juice that you can just take instead of taking bread and dipping it in the cup. Um, And we wanna invite you in this time to sit before the Lord um, and admit your brokenness. So this is a time of confession. It's actually a beautiful time of confession. The band is going to be playing um, some some music behind us. They're going to be singing some songs behind us. This is a time for you to just engage with the Spirit of God and let God stir affections in your heart. And in those affections, you may feel some sort of conviction. And if you do, that's good. Draw near to God's throne of grace because He will always meet you there. He loves you. If you've never placed faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior but today you want to do that this could potentially be your first act of faith by getting up and going and taking communion and that's a beautiful thing and I would love to talk to you if you're, if you're willing to come talk to me and share with me that you want to take this journey um, with the Lord um, and if you're just sitting there and you're blatantly like this is not for me I want nothing to do with this I want to say to you that then that table is not for you and here's why because the Bible says that when you take this communion you're doing this in remembrance of what God has done for you Um, and if you do so in an unworthy manner which means you don't believe this is true um, that you're inviting judgment upon your soul and I just want to say we don't want that for you Um, what we want you to do is we want you to know Jesus we want you to know that he loves you deeply, deeply Um, and so we want to talk to you about that and if you have questions that's great, so do I and so I'd love to sit and talk to you about those things Um, thank you guys so much at this time why don't you just take some time bow your heads and when you feel comfortable you can get up and partake in communion together thanks guys